Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Praise God. Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 from verse 1. Genesis chapter 11 from verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tar that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the earth. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Hallelujah. Amen. So what we began to say last week, it's good to see everybody this morning. I hope you had a great week. And um, if your week was not so great, don't worry, this won't be better. Hallelujah. So we've been exploring our, our Towers of Babel, which is to talk about the spirit of pride and the spirit of self-glorification and which, which ushers into idolatry, but you know, focused on the spirit of pride. And we saw here that um, a proper reading of the text, um, outside of the, um, you know, our Bible of children's stories level of interpretation, if you want to interpret it like, you know, like an adult, um, you will find out that the problem was not that the tower was intimidating to God. The problem was not that God was scared that if they build great civilizations, um, they would somehow touch him because he's in the sky. No, the Lord is in, and, is in and through all things. God is great. He's above the earth and he's in the earth. He's, God is great. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. So when he says, I will come down and look at it, it's not that he has to come down and look at it. But we saw that the problem is that they wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And it is not the place of any of God's creatures to make a name for themselves. All glory must return to the Lord. Because all beauty, all good things, all perfect gifts come from him. Indeed, there is a temptation that when God gives us beautiful things, when he gives us good things, when he gives us perfect things, we have a sense that those things are beautiful and we begin to have a sense of Self-sufficiency. And let me say something. I mentioned that last week. I didn't actually define it. Pride. Pride, I would, dis- I would uh, define it, in, you know, for you to quickly understand in a way that captures the essence in the scriptures as a sense of self-sufficiency. As a sense of self-sufficiency. Growing up, we're told that pride was um, being unteachable. And that's actually very correct. But I found that over time, it's very, it can be very difficult to articulate and to explain to people because not all teaching is supposed to be correct. It's supposed to be accepted. Do you understand that? Um, if, if, the, if the man of God is going in what God has asked him to do and God has told him to do something and then men of the world want to teach him to do something contrary to the will of God, he's being unteachable to them, isn't it? Well, is he being proud? Not really. So being unteachable actually... You know, it refers to being unteachable towards God. And God teaches us through, but, it, you know, it gets very complicated. When people start asking sophisticated questions, but I find that I found that it's one way that will be easier to capture is to say that pride is a sense of self-sufficiency. Hallelujah. It is primarily a sense of self-sufficiency that has manifestations in all kinds of things. Pride is primarily a sense of self-sufficiency. So when God gives us good gifts, because God is beautiful and God is holy and God is good, good flows from him naturally. So when we receive these gifts from him, when we have all these gifts that he has given us, we tend to have, when we, when we, when we look at the beauty of those things in our lives, we tend to have a sense of self-sufficiency based on those things. We begin to think that those things are, are from us in and of ourselves. We begin to think that those things are sufficient for all our needs. There's a way that beauty enraptures your attention. If you see something good, there's a way that it can take your gaze. And when, when it takes your gaze, 
you have a kind of vision that looks like as if no other thing is important. Hallelujah. Do you understand that? That's why when you're in love with someone, at, you know, at that period, right, when you're infatuated, it's like as if no other thing is beautiful. When you buy a new smart TV that is very nice, at that point, no other electronic is good. And all those, those kinds, that kind of feeling. Um, so when we see good things from God, they have a way of making us, because of our broken natures, right, we have a way of fixating on those things and begin to look at those things like as if those things are good in and, in and of themselves and we are self-sufficient. And that's where pride comes from. That's where pride comes from. Hallelujah. Pride, listen, normally, normally, right? Glory and adoration, the attention and gaze of people should go towards the source of beauty. Let me, let me try to explain something. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let me try and break it down very well for you so that you will understand. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, there's this scripture that we often read where we talk about what Paul, what Paul was teaching about our financial conduct. And verse 11 says, And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Look at that verse 12. He says, So that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not depend on anybody. I use this, I, I, this the Lord, Lord put it in my heart, I believe the Lord put it in my heart as a way to really help you, to really explain how this thing works. When this example here is talking about human, human interaction, right? Christians and unbelievers. When you are independent of people, that means if you don't need unbelievers to survive, if a believer doesn't need other, belie- other people, in quotes, to survive, whereby you have a work of your hands where you are content with that the amount you are getting from it is sufficient for you, and you don't have to be begging people for loans and um, charity and handouts for you to survive. What happens is that those people will respect you. It doesn't even matter if they have more money than you. They will respect the fact that you are not dependent on them. You know, disrespect comes from when you are, someone is dependent on you. You understand that? It's just natural. Disrespect tends to come when someone is dependent on you. Both the person that is the benefactor and the person that is the you know, receiving the benefaction, that sense of lack of respect tends to come when you are dependent on someone for something. So the Lord says that you should actually try and walk to the point where you are independent of people. So you see that the sense of independence comes with the respect. Do you understand that? The dignity. The glory. The independence comes with the respect. And that kind of is like the base structure of what I'm trying to describe. That whereby glory, dignity, glory, dignity, adoration goes to the one that is self-sufficient. Goes to the entity that is self-sufficient. So that is the reason why the moment we begin to feel self-sufficient, we begin to expect people to glorify us. When you realize that you are not sufficient of yourself, you will find out that you will naturally give glory to the one upon whom your sufficiency is dependent. Just what I just said now. When you recognize that you cannot help yourself, when you recognize that all your help comes from someone, you will find out that your glory and honor and respect will go to that person upon which your sufficiency is dependent. And that is what pride is. There is only one who is truly self-sufficient. There is only one. There is only one who is truly self-sufficient, and that is God. Every other feeling of sufficiency, of provision in yourself, is actually because of his goodness. It's because of his disposition. So you have what you have because he gave you. And that's why John the Baptist said, inspiredly, that everything that every man has, there's no man that has anything except it is from who? The Lord. No man can have anything except it is from the Lord. So there are many good gifts that God gives us in our lives. And because God has given you a gift and you are, you are dispensing that gift, you are using that gift, you begin to think that it is about you. Because you are the one using the gift. You begin to feel like as if it's about you. As if you are self-sufficient. Because you have a high intelligence quotient and you understand abstract things very quickly. And over time, you've been winning arguments and you've been winning debates. You begin to feel that your intelligence, you begin to feel self-sufficient in your intelligence. 
And that's where being unteachable comes from. Do you understand that? Do you see now? That's where being unteachable comes from. Whereby someone begins to tell you that, no, you're not self-sufficient. You are wrong. You say, no. Awani. IQD. That is pride. So pride is primarily a sense of self-sufficiency. If God has put you, put you in a context where you can make a lot of money, and over time, because you have noticed how it is to have a lot of money and the way people depend on you when you have a lot of money, the money begins to corrupt your mind and you begin to think that you are all-powerful, that you are immortal because you have plenty of money. The money begins to make you feel proud. You begin to feel like as if there's nothing you cannot do. You notice a lot of times that protocols are broken because of you, because you have money. You notice that people defer to you because you have money. You notice that even when you make stupid suggestions, people will take the suggestions because you have money. You begin to have a sense of self-sufficiency that I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I can do it on my own. And that is pride. All of, God give, all of God's gifts can actually make us to become proud. Just like this civilization that we read in, in um, Genesis chapter 11, God gave them the intelligence, God gave them the wherewithal, God gave them everything, and they wanted to use it to build a civilization to make a name for themselves. And that is pride. And God is committed to pulling down pride. I'm going to say a lot of things today practically so that we can really understand. I hope to close it today. Hallelujah. So do you understand what I'm saying to you? All of God's gifts can actually take us to that point. Every single one of God's gifts. Even good looks. People have noticed that you are a good-looking bloke or a good-looking sister. And you are, you know, you are... More, you are better looking than the average person and over time you've gotten a lot of compliments and you find out that you get a lot of benefits and a lot of um, special treatments because of your good looks, you will begin to think that you are special. You begin to think that you are self-sufficient. People that don't look as good as you, you begin to tell them, you know, those were what people. You begin to think that things should come to you because of the what you are used to having. When you begin to live a funny life and people want to correct you, because you are used to having your way, you can't understand why they are correcting you and why they are telling you that this life you are living is headed towards destruction. All of God's gifts. Even supernatural gifts can get you to that point. Charismatic gifts are notorious in our context for getting people to that point. But guess what? Even the less charismatic ones get you to that point. God has used you one or two times to do good in the lives of people. God has used you to heal people in meetings before. God has dropped things in your heart. And when it came out, someone, someone recognized that this thing you said was what I was thinking. Over time, you begin to think, ah, <laughs> the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. <laughs> Awani. Even if you don't articulate it in your mind, you begin to have people begin to adore you, and people because there's something beautiful about the about the supernatural gifts of God, and it holds our gaze when God demonstrates His power. That's why it is one of the ways that God actually uses to show His goodness in our lives, and which um, you know elicits its. I'm sorry for all these words I'm using. Trust me, I'm trying to do my best to make sure that I don't use. But that's what's just coming to my mind. God will help me. That this is one of the ways that God used to draw worship from. This is one of the ways that God, that makes us worship God. When God shows beautiful, his beautiful power through our lives. Hallelujah. When God shows his beautiful power through our lives. And when God uses you, it holds the gaze of people. And people begin to give you honor and then you begin to feel that you are special. That's why you notice that even sometimes when you just did something wrong before you came to minister, God still used you. And you think it's a comment on your specialness. You don't know it's a comment on the one who has the gifts and can use any, any vessel he wants to use. Hmm. So you begin to feel special. And that's where destruction comes. You don't want to be accountable anymore. You begin to live your life in funny ways. And before you know it, God will demonstrate that all the gifts are from him. Even the less flashy gifts, like the gift of teaching, ability to look into God's word and understand. People don't realize, but these are actually demonstrations of God's gifts. Not everybody can be a systematic theologian. I must okay, yes, nobody, not everybody will be a systematic theologian. So people actually have the gift. Not everybody will be Augustine. Not everybody has to be Augustine. So you understand what I'm saying? No, but not everybody has to be. Not everybody has to be Aquinas. 
So people are good at exhortation and preaching from God's word and showing God's word and using it to convict people's hearts. So people can go break down, break it down step by step and everything. And if the Lord has chosen that he wants to use you to be able to do systematics and do all those kind of deep exegesis, historical theology and everything, good. But there's a sense that when God has given you the gift and you have done it enough times and you have won enough de- de- debates and enough people have told you that there's no like unto you, you begin to feel like that, like you are special. Like you are self-sufficient in teaching God's word. If I wake up from my sleep, I go dispense. That is pride. Church, I going to send to you. Look at something the psalmist said. Psalm 115. Psalm 115 verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and your faithfulness. See what David is saying here. Everything that we have in our lives is because of your love and your faithfulness. Even when we are unfaithful, you remain faithful. You cannot deny yourself. Everything that is good in our lives is because of your love. So when we see good things in our life, the glory is not to us. The glory is unto who? Your name. Not to us. If God has given you five talents and you have more money than, you have, than other believers around you who have two and one, not unto me, oh Lord, it's not because I'm special that I had a tech idea that um, sold plenty of money and I was able to get plenty of money. Not because I was the best person at the interview and it go, gave me a very highly sorted, sorted job and the, that, that it pays more than most people. Not unto me. Because even the brain you used to speak in the meeting, did you create it? Did you create the brain? Did you not wake up and sit in your head? The eloquence that you have, did you, just not, did, you, did you just notice that it was growing with you? Not unto us, O Lord. If God has blessed you and people have looked upon you and said, ah, this brother is handsome or this sister is fine, it is not unto you. I found that I'm very intelligent and I have a very high IQ. When people are talking, 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 I can look through all the rubbish they are saying and bring out the cocoa of the oro. <laughs> not unto you. He's the one that works in us both to will and to do. Because sometimes, you want to take the glory for willing. Do you understand that? Mm. Sometimes you want to take the glory for willing. Sometimes you want to take the glory for doing. Because sometimes you look at yourself and say, "Eh, yes, I know, I have the gift. And the gift is from God. But I'm the one that used the gift. (laughs) He's the one that works in you both to will and to what? Do. So even when you are using it, I'm, I'm a hard worker, I'm working hard, I'm conscientious, I wake up early and I do what I'm meant to do. That ability to will and to do those things is not even your ability. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto you be all the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. So there's no gifts that you have that warrants you to have a sense of self-sufficiency. There's no gift that you have that warrants you to be proud. Look at Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And I should say this at this point. This is a learning point. Even in our doxology, even in the way we worship, we have to be aware of this. We have to be conscious of this. In our doxology, in our worship, we have to be conscious of this. I know that there is a kind of thinking and a kind of um, way of thinking, a kind of doctrine, you know, where you say things like, um, we are the object of God's love. We are the object of God's love. Um, the, the full power of God was demonstrated in new creation realities when Jesus died for us. So if you are looking for the glory of God, look at the believer. Listen to me. Listen to me. You have started, you have started sounding funny. You are still sounding funny. You say we are the object of God's power. We are the object of God's goodness. If you look at us, you see the thing that Jesus has accomplished. Therefore, when we are saying worship God, we should say, um, you say, let us, let us worship the one who saved humanity. You know? You go as far as saying that, well, don't worship God and look up. Don't live, don't look up when you are worshiping God. God is inside of you. You see what is happening here? You see what's happening here? 
when the Lord was on the earth, John chapter 17, the Bible says that the, father, the Lord looked up towards the heavens and worshipped his father. You, that you are going to die very soon. You say, no, don't look up. Let's look inward. That's why I said you should be very careful. There's a way to teach new, new Christian realities where your gaze begins to become on yourself instead of on God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You say, let's not sing um, the, the God that created um, the, the, the okay Bani. That means the God that created all of creation. Let's not say that. Let's say the God that created you. You are trying to put yourself, you are trying to put yourself at the end of the worship value chain. So that where God is, they will be seeing you too. You say, let us worship God who saved us and gave us his spirit. So that where he is, we are there also. Be careful. Be careful. Go and read all the worship. Go, just do a survey. If you are very serious, if you are very serious about understanding what I'm saying, do a survey of the New Testament. And go and look at everywhere where the apostles worshipped God. Go and look at every single place where the worship, apostles worship God. Go and check. Read through the epistles, read the book of Acts. Read the way the Lord himself worshipped his father. Read the way the apostles worshipped worship the Lord. Read the way the apostles talked about God in the epistles. Go and look at everywhere where does any kind of doxology. Consistently and consistently what you begin to see is that he's the one that draws in unapproachable lights. The one that no man has ever seen or will ever see. He said, your ways are great and your ways are past finding out. Who can give to you that you should say you should repay them? He said, oh God who created the heavens and the earth and the seas and the mountains and all that is in it. Move your mighty finger. I bow my knees to the father of all the nations of the earth after whom the, all the families of the earth are named. Do you see anyone say, I bow my hand to the God who, who, who saved me? Oh, do you understand? Sorry, he said that one. But is this a, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Self-sufficiency, that's where pride comes. And that's where the feeling of all, you know, this kind of all these ideas begin to come from. The gifts are, the gifts of the Spirit are mine. They are my ability. They are my ability. So I can use them how I like. So I can even use them to do what is not the will of God. That is pride. That is a sense of self-sufficiency. You cannot use God's power to do what is not his will. Did you hear what I just said now? When you think that you are using it to do what is not his will, he will show you that he's the one that was using you to do it so that he can use you as example of destruction and then turn it around. You know what I just said now? Look at something. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1 says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Look at, look at those associations. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. You see, he mentioned a lot of things, but if you now look at it closely, you will find something that it is just like the fruit of the Spirit, right? It is one fruit of the Spirit with all those manifestations, right? A man who loves God, a man who has the Spirit of God and loves God will find that he's a man of faith. You'll notice that he has a self-control. Self-control comes from the fact that the love of God constrains us. Do you understand that? You'll find that he's able to persevere. Do you understand that? You'll find out that he's kind. All those fruits of the Spirit comes from the fact that the one who is love has now dwelt inside of us. That's why it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. He said fruits of the world. In the last days, you know the core central spirit here that is at work in all those manifestations is pride. It's pride. In the last days, when God's gift of um, intellect and um, physical capacity and all these gifts that God has given humanity, when those gifts have had time to find fruition and over the years they've accumulated all kinds of progress for humanity, in the last days all the fruits, the gifts of God's gift, God's gift to us, they will have found all kinds of manifestations and fruits 
And those fruits will have compounded over the years and over the centuries. So that the more, the, 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 the more you go into the last days, the more you will find that human beings have accomplished all kinds of things. Because of the accomplishments that human beings have had of themselves, the primarily, primary issue they'll begin to have is a sense of pride and self-sufficiency, which manifests as all these things. Humanity will begin to look at itself. Do you understand what I just said now? Do you, do you understand why it's the last days? It's the reason why, let me say it again. The reason why it's the last days is because God has given humanity gifts. Man is using those gifts. Those gifts will bear fruits and profits. They will bear reward. And those rewards will be accumulating over time. It will be accumulating over time. So the, man, the more man knows, the more man uses what he knows, the more he will get advancement in breakthrough and science and technology and political um, ideology and all those kinds of things. And he will organize his societies better and then there will be better health. Um, human beings will be healthier. People, he, he, as human beings are getting healthier, they will also be materially more comfortable. And over the years, they will be building things and building things and building things. The more they build things, the more their sense of independence and self-sufficiency will increase. Do you understand what I just said now? And that is the reason why the people that are forming natives today are people that feel like as if we have done everything in our country. <laughs> That's why, you know, if you go to your village, you notice that atheism has a different manifestation. They don't say we are atheists. They'll say, um, well, we're going to go and worship uh, Shango Ogun. They won't say, you understand? Atheist is for those in Lagos, Abuja, and America. Sorry, not even Lagos. <clears throat> it's for VI, Leki, Ikejaji, Ari, Ikoyi. It's not for Ikorodu. <laughs> With apologies to those who are in Ikorodu. I sound like I'm saying, okay, if you like, get angry, I'll not mention it. But I shall know it's not in Iwo. It's when I got to Lagos, I started seeing atheists. All right? That sense of self-sufficiency magnifies, that sense of accomplishment, the bearing of the fruits of our capabilities, begins to bear a sense of self-sufficiency, which is pride, which manifests in all these things. That's why this kind of message it will sound like as if it is not um, called this thing, but I'm telling you, it is very relevant for our time that you must watch yourself. You must watch yourself. And it manifests in all these things. People will be lovers of themselves. Why will you not be lovers of yourself? Like I told you earlier, ah, I can preach a whole message on this. I'm not going here. I'm not finished today. They'll be Why are they lovers of themselves? Because they are looking inward. They are beginning to see the glory in themselves, not from the one whom that glory comes from. So, of course, to be lovers of themselves. Love is giving to the beauty, the thing that is beautiful that holds your attention. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's why they are lovers of themselves. That's why they are selfish. That's why they are lovers of money. Because money gives you that sense of independence. That's why they love money so much. That's why even when they've made billions and billions and billions and billions, they'll still be grasping. That's why they are boastful, proud. That is why they are abusive. That's why people are abusive on social media. Have you not noticed that everybody puts up a front on social media as if they know? As if they know more than everybody. Where does ratio come from? The fact that everybody thinks that what you said, they know better. That's where abusiveness comes from. A sense of superiority. A sense of self-sufficiency. A sense of superiority, that's where it comes from. That is the reason why you will not ratio your pastor. Have you not noticed that? I'm not saying you directly to me. I'm talking about people would not ratio their words pastor. Because even when it seems like as if the pastor might have said something wrong, they will give benefit of that and said, I know this man, he knows more than me. Maybe there's something deeper to what he's saying. So when you, even when you're approaching him, what will you ask him? Sir, this thing you said, can you explain better? Do you understand now? But if he's another person's pastor, what do you do? You don't know anything in that church. It's pride, actually. When you see someone that you know that this person actually knows more than me, you will not reassure the person. You will have noticed that mm -mm. there must be a reason. Let, let me watch. Have you not noticed it? Have you not noticed it? So imagine a whole generation of people, all of them, from 16, 17-year-olds, that are still writing jam, but because they have a phone and on Twitter, feel like as if they know. 
they will be ratioing a 50-year-old man that can give birth to them. And the ones that in their personal lives don't... Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Everybody comes on social media to do some kind of virtue signaling to show the, portray themselves as someone that is kind of morally good. That is what is happening. That's why it's happening more in the last days. That is why they are disobedient to parents. Of course they are disobedient to parents because they are proud. Of course. Hallelujah. Why are they ungrateful? Sense of entitlement. Where does sense of entitlement come from? Pride, self-sufficiency. Pride is the underlying problem here. Why are they unholy? A man that is self-sufficient begins to idolize things that are the creation and not the end. That things that are the creation, not the creator. So they begin to give themselves to all kinds of lasciviousness. Of course, when a man begins, that's why you notice that the moment a person starts getting offended with the church and the person goes and drifts away from church and begins to stand alone and begins to worship God, it's just a matter of time before you find them doing, beginning to do all kinds of evil and begin to see all kinds of dirty things. I friend tweeted something that made me laugh. I just, when he said, just laughs. It just, you know, just actually dawned on me. You notice that it's those that are backsliding. That used to say sky daddy. When he said that thing, he's a pastor. When the pastor tweeted it, I was like, ah, this thing is true because I, I just remembered one guy. That one, when we were together, you know, we fellowship and everything. I noticed some years after, he has become a tech bro. He now started saying, my sky daddy came in. I said, ah. Then one day he made a comment. I said, Chai. ah. Ah, oh God, have mercy. It is that sense of lack of reverence for God. You call it, atheists are calling God sky daddy. You to learn no way. That's why people were saying that, um, you know, let me just not continue talking. Hallelujah. Based on the law of Moses, he said that kind of thing. Your just recompense, whatever you get, is just. Just what I was Normally, that's why when Jesus comes at the end of time, you will see. Call God our Father. See, sky daddy. Without love, of course, when you see that people that feel have a sense of self-sufficiency are people that usually dehumanize other people, are very abrasive, very, very unforgiving, slanderous, everything. Just look at it. You see what I'm saying. So you see how much evil comes from pride. And that is why St. Augustine tells us. The original sin was what? Pride. What was the sin that took, um, uh, according to tradition, that took Lucifer out of heaven to become the serpent? What was it? Pride. So, you will be, when we begin to read scriptures now, when it seems like, as when God is saying, hey, I will resist the proud. I will pull down the proud. You will not say, ah, ah, God, be coming down. Ah, ah, God, be coming down. Ah, ah, it's not too much. It's not too much, oh. It's because of mercy. If God wanted to deal with proud people appropriately, the moment you begin to worship yourself, the moment you begin to have the self-sufficiency, you should get the reward. What is the reward? Oblivion. Just go. Go to hell. Brethren, the last days have made us to feel like pride is not such a bad thing. Made us to feel that a sense of self-sufficiency is dignity. No. True dignity, true Christian dignity is knowing the one from whom your source is and being dependent on him. So that is the reason why in Christianity we give inherent dignity to every human being. Why? Because the person is the imago Dei. He has the image of God. What gives him that sense of inherent dignity is because we are looking at God, the ultimately the all-dignified one. And if God has shared his image with this person, we must respect that person. If we don't respect that person, we cannot say that we respect the one from whom that image comes from. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? True dignity in Christianity is knowing the one from whom, that is why we always tell, that's why I've been telling you, right? That true honor, true honor is that a man's privilege matches his responsibility. What is the responsibility of the elder of your local church over you? That God has given him as your elder to take care of you and steward you. Therefore, the dignity you are giving him is based on that work. Where does that work come from? The fact that God sends him. Do you understand what I'm saying to you now? That's where dignity comes from. Why will you look at yourself and not look at yourself as trash? Because Jesus did not say I'm trash. It's not because I'm one bad guy. No, because Jesus said I am not Trash. Why is it that even when people are breaking my heart or when talking stage with someone and once the person now sees me, now says he's not doing a game because he thought I was fine from the way I was chatting and you're not allowing it to depress you. 
The reason why you can say that I am fearfully and wonderfully made is because he said so. You know what I'm saying to you now? This is also the reason why if you are rich or you are very intelligent or you have any gifts, the reason why you not begin to look at yourself and say, ah, is because you also know that it comes from him. So Christian dignity is knowing who your source is. That's why Paul will say, we have a sufficiency. And that sufficiency is not of ourselves. It is of what? God. That's why he will now say later in chapter 9, that even that, though I'm an apostle, I'm not magnifying my office. I'm describing who I am because his reference is that God sent me. I know the privileges of the office that God sent me. So let's read God's word. Matthew 23. Brethren, let us repent. Let us repent. Brethren, let us repent. In any way that we have begun to see ourselves as self-sufficient, in any way that we have begun to see ourselves of having a goodness of our own selves, let us repent. Everything that we have is from God. Everything that we have is from God. Hmm. Matthew 23, verse 8 says, I read it last week, it says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be servants. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Ah, this scripture touched me. You don't worry, um, you know, the, we, the leaders were having a meeting some days ago. You know, and this scripture, you know, has really touched me. It has truly touched me. We're doing research into what the governance of the early church was like. One of the things, among the many things that we found, one of the things that we found was that there was a weird humility among the apostles. Sometimes we gloss over it and we don't recognize how deep it was. If it was, it was alive today, it would be unrecognizable. And by the grace of God, we will get there too. Very weird. Every man saw themselves in the light of what God has sent them to do. And no man was hustling for title or for authority. Such that after the Lord died and he ascended, the pastor of the church, the elder, that is the bishop, right, of the church in Jerusalem was James. James was, the peop- was part of the people with his other brothers and sisters that were telling Jesus that you are not really the Messiah. They didn't believe in him. They believed in him after Jesus rose from the dead. He was now the bishop. Peter, that was the leader, and the church was one of the elders where he had a bishop in the church. You don't understand. Let me bust your head. John the Beloved was a bishop in Jerusalem. Later on, he went to Ephesus. He was one of the bishops, not the bishop. It was Timothy. He was one of the elders. Timothy was the bishop. They were calling each other by name and rebuking each other by name. There was no Apostle Peter. Apostle Paul. It was Cephas. What's wrong with you? So, I got what I'm saying to you. It just dawned on me that the apostles actually really took this command from the Lord. They actually took it. Peter, who was the first, demonstrated himself like a servant. Imagine people that Jesus worked with. The men, like Paul, that Jesus appeared to. Look at these men. Some funny people that just got saved wanted to become false teachers and they were dragging authority with him. Think about it. That you are Paul. You've done ministry in Corinth. Apollos that we know when he just learned sound doctrine. We know when Apollos learned sound doctrine. In fact, the people that taught him sound doctrine are the people that we taught. Him too is now having followers and they are forming, we have a group in Corinth. Imagine you are Apostle Paul. You now go there and submit it to them and say, nobody should be forming Kiniko. Nobody should form that is the great apostle Kiniko. Look at that spirit. Read the Bible. I don't remember if you have read the epistles well enough to understand what I'm saying. Look at the picture. Have you noticed that there's no self-glorification among any of the apostles? Did you notice that? 
They took this command very seriously. This whole obsession with titles and praise and being known as unique, what the apostles actually practiced was that what the Lord has called you to do, go and do. It's not a matter of who is called the big man. In fact, positions were given as a matter of need, as a matter of need, not as a way of compensating or glorifying a person. By our standards, Peter will have been the resident pastor of Jerusalem. By our standards, when John and Andrew showed up in Ephesus, they will have made John Apostle 1, um, Andrew Apostle 2, all the other elders, man, chill. You understand what I'm saying to you? If Paul stood up in Corinth, honor me. You submit to honor. But none of them did that. We don't even recognize how much we have been steeped into that mentality until we actually begin to measure ourselves by their standard. And we discover that honor is a problem here. It's a problem. So he now says, verse 12, for those who exalt themselves will be what? Humbled. And those who humble themselves will be what? Exalted. The apostles were epitomes of humility. The apostles were epitomes of humility. I have a personal crusade against everybody that wants to diminish the apostles. I have a big problem with that doctrine or that idea in any way. You diminish the prophets of the old. You diminish the apostles. Do you know the reason why God can just show Peter a vision and trust that Peter will behave accordingly? Humility. People don't actually recognize. Peter was always doing at every point in time what he believed was what God was saying. That's what I'm saying to you. When the Lord showed him a vision, do not call anybody unclean. Did he even argue? Did he argue? When Peter rebuked him, did he argue? In case you don't know, we're talking about people that when they are walking, their shadow heals people. Today, small, small 2,000 followers, they can't correct you again. Today, small move like this, small, you just saw the mercy of God. God had pity one person in the, in the church. God has pity the person say, let me just heal the person today. And I say, ah, hey, hey, hey. Now say, don't argue people that have results. <laughs> if I have results, it must mean that I'm, I'm self-sufficient. Be receiving yourself. You will just not enter Canaan. You know what I just said now? Yeah. You will just not enter Canaan. So the Lord will humble everybody that exalt themselves. Brethren, listen to me. Hmm? Listen to me. Listen to me. If you begin to have a self-sufficiency, don't be surprised if God humbles you. It is for your own good. It is the chastisement of a father that loves his child. Let's read Proverbs chapter 3. <laughs> I like this one. Chapter 3 verse 34. He said, He mocks proud mockers but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. God mocks people that are proud. He mocks them. He laughs at them. He says, you. You. You think you are okay now. God mocks them. Hmm. Psalm 101. Psalm 101 verse 5. He says, Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. I will not tolerate. God will not tolerate your pride. He will not. He will not. If the Lord was willing to permit a thorn in the flesh of Paul that was from Satan, just so that he will not be exalted beyond measure. You best believe, you best believe that God will not tolerate your rubbish. Forget all these funny ideas. If the Lord will not tolerate Paul's pride and had mercy on him 
and allowed a turn from Satan to suffer him. Just for that sake, you best believe that God will not be interested. He will not tolerate. He will not take it from you. God will not take it from you. The moment you begin to look like as if you are self-sufficient, God can already see the destruction. God can already see that Satan is about to make a mess of your life. You want to start looking like Satan because he loves you. He will not tolerate it. He will deal with you. And your joy will be full. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Psalm 138. Psalm 138, verse 6. He says, Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Hallelujah. Do you see that? Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. So when a man recognizes his insufficiency, and this thing, that's why he says, commit your ways unto the Lord. Do not rely on your own understanding. Even in these things, and this thing, let it become a practice in your life. Let it become a practice in your life. Let it be in your personal life. This one, I learned it recently. I was showing my wife yesterday. Let it become a practice in your life that there is nothing that you feel self-sufficient in. There is nothing that you look at you and say, I'm good. You are not good. In everything, you recognize your limitations and consistently commit yourself unto the Lord. So, if you, if you make yourself lowly, the Lord will always recognize you and he will always lift you up. Psalm 16. Psalm chapter 16. Verse 1 says, Keep me safe, O my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. This is your posture. This is your prayer. When you are considering all the things of your life, all the affairs of matters of your life, this is the posture of your heart. Lord, apart from you, I have no good thing. I have no good thing of myself. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So I cannot look at myself and see myself as one who is good by himself. It will never happen. You must always recognize that apart from you, O oh Lord, I have no good thing. Even the ability to understand your word is your gift. Ability to communicate the same is your gift. Even the health to stand and do so is your gift. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Hallelujah. Church, are we together? Now let's look at what the apostles say. Let's end with where the apostles teach us. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. From verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Hallelujah. He says, you who are younger, submit yourself to the elders. Submit yourself to the elders of your local church. Don't look at your personal life and don't look at your things like as if nobody can tell you what to do. Don't look at your things and say nobody can tell you what to do. For young people, the most common one, and I'm speaking from experience, is in matters of relationship. You always feel like as if you know what you are doing. I like this girl, I like this brother, I know what I'm doing. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. So that you will not make a mess of yourself. Unless you don't believe that those elders are sent of God, unless you don't trust them, in which case we should be having a different conversation of you going to a place that you can that you can trust them. But if God has ordered your steps to, into a Christian, a Catholic, and apostolic church where those men are sent of God, humble yourselves under them, under their under their authority, so that they can help you. This is the essence of the local church, because God opposes the proud and He shows favor to the humble. He says, even clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. That means even in the way you deal with one another. That's why we know we've already told you guys in this church, no matter the kind of gifts that you have in the world, when you enter this place, all of everybody is equal. If God blesses some of you and you become GMD of NNPC one day, that's for your pockets. We thank God for your five talents. Put it in your pockets. You come here. You sit down. The brother who is a teacher in primary school will teach you God's word and you will hear. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. 
cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. There's another part of humility. Your inability to pray, your lack of desire to pray, your lack of favor in prayer often suggests a sense of self-sufficiency. You think you are okay, that's why you are not praying. You think you are good, that's why you are not praying. You have not humbled yourself under God's mighty hand. If you have humbled yourself under God's mighty hand, you will know that you need to cast your cares upon him. The reason why you are not praying is because you think you are okay. You think you can do it by yourself. When you recognize that there is no part of your life that God is not the one that is helping you, you will notice that your prayer will be long. Why? Because by the time you commit all those things to his hands, one by one, or just in law, you are not praying about your work because you think you are good. The last performance review, performance cycle, they rated us. Okay, we're, we're up for promotion in six months. I don't know me. You think your marriage is good? Say, yeah, no, no, God has helped us. The love is very strong. <laughs> ah. <laughs> no, in your Bible, they'll, they'll pray and say, May you not see where Satan is operating in the family. See, I'm a very good parent. I can train my children. I'm a disciplinarian and I know how to love them. <laughs> pray. If you don't pray, Satan will make you get something. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just like what I'm saying to you. Your, inab- your difficulty with prayer is a sign of a sense of self-sufficiency. Brethren, pray. Pray. James chapter 4. then Apostle James tells us humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up sometimes when you are in obscurity and you feel like as if you should do more that God has given me certain gifts I'm meant to be doing more folks listen to me your sense of response should not be I'm gifted I'm gifted why am I not getting more opportunities to demonstrate my gifts that should not be your response your response should be if God has kept me here it's because I'm still learning something there's something I've not learned humble yourself when it is time God will lift you up don't lift yourself up. Don't tell yourself, I'm gifted, I'm gifted, I'm gifted. It's time, it's time, it's time. Listen, God will lift you up. In the place of work and in everything, don't look at those ahead of you and say, what are they doing? That's so difficult about it. <laughs> Humble yourself so that God can lift you up. Let me show you something. Romans chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each one of you. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Just keep that in your hand. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 2. Let's read from verse 1. It says, Now about food um, offered to idols, we know that, all, that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. The sense of feeling that you know something usually comes from people who have a huge blind spot. The more you know, the more you learn from God's word, the more aware you are of the things that you don't know. This one, I found it in my life. That the more I learned from God's word, the more I realized the things that I don't know and the things that I cannot know. That feeling of I know God's word is a sign that a lot of things you don't know. It's a sign that even the things that you ought to know, you don't know. So that sense of self-sufficiency and pride, one of the things that it does is that it gives you a massive blind spot. You can't see things that you ought to see. So when destruction is even coming, you will not see it. Did you hear what I just said now? One of the things that pride does is that it it gives you a massive blind spot. So that even when destruction is coming, you will not recognize it until it has swept you away. Those that think that they know, they don't know as they ought to know. So whenever you're having a conversation with people, whenever you're approaching God's word, 
always approach it with a sense of, I don't know enough. There's something new for me to learn. What is left for me to learn? What can I take from this? What is missing in my knowledge? A man that does that will know God. Should I get something to you? Galatians chapter 6. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. If anyone thinks that they are something when they are not, they do what? Deceive themselves. Pride gives you a huge blind spot. You will be deceiving yourself. You think you are something. You think you are something. That's why pride makes us to be very unkind and very very unkind to other people when they fall. That sense of self-sufficiency looks at other people when they fall like as if there's something wrong with them. Me, I cannot fall. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Listen to me. Pride will make you a hypocrite. Because you'll be deceiving yourself. You will have a huge blind spot. You think you are okay, but you are not. When you fall, you will now start speaking English. You will now start doing exegesis of why they should give you special treatment. That is hypocrisy. Guys, you are not great. It is God that is great. I hear what I'm saying to you. You are not great. It is God that is what? Great. And that's why this manifests in every of the Christian. Wherever you see Christians gather together in a family, this is where the way of thinking, this is where it stems from. This is how we think. Fathers and husbands, who are the head of the household, your headship of the household, that's why he always laughs. He will say, Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Submit yourself to one another, therefore it means that they submit. So when the Bible was telling, when the Lord was telling the apostles that they should submit themselves to one another, the least among you is the greatest. Was he saying also that there will be no head among them? Is that what he was saying? It means that when you are in the head, you don't say, I'm the head. It means your headship is servanthood. It means you are the one that is more likely to be taken advantage of. It means that you wash the feet of those that you are living with. It means that you don't think you are all wise. You don't think that you are all destined. You listen, you listen, you listen. This is the reason why God calls you unqualified. Because the person who is ahead in Christianity is not the greatest person. It's the person that God has chosen as an election of grace for you to serve in his place. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Do you understand what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? When God calls in Christianity... In any of his household, when God calls a person to stand in an office, he's not putting you there because you are the most competent or the most qualified. He's putting you there because despite your deficiencies, he's asking you to do a job on his behalf. So you must never see your position as a comment on your greatness. You are not the head of the home because you are superior to your wife. You are not the pastor of the local church because you know more than all the people that are there. It's an election of service. So you recognize when you don't know as much as you want. You listen and receive advice. You are teachable and you are meek. You can be taught. You can learn. Because your position is not a sign of your greatness. Your position is a sign of the mercy of God and the election of grace. Brethren, please don't build towers of Babel in your lives. In any area. Don't try to make a name for yourself. This local church is not about making a name for myself, for my wife and for my family. And it should not be for any one of you. Very soon I've told you people, in a few years from now, as if the God, God, God does it for me, I'll just retire to one village somewhere and be doing evangelism. I'll be teaching a seminary. And another elder of the church will stand in your front. This is not about building a name for yourself. If I'm not building a name for myself, I don't expect any of you in your service units or wherever you are to be building a name for yourself. I don't expect those coming after us to ever come and stand in this position to build a name for themselves. Brethren, don't build names for yourselves. Let the name of the Lord be glorified in your lives. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto you be all the glory. Hallelujah. Father, we just say today as a family, Father, we see as your household that not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto you be all the glory. Your name is glorified. 
All glory and all honor and all power belongs to you. There is no power beside yours. Lord, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And we say that we have no name of our own. Our name is yours. The name that we have is the one you gave us. The name that we have is the one you gave us. So we will glorify your name and, your, and glorify your name alone. We will glorify your name and glorify your name alone. We have no name of our own but yours. We have no name of our own but yours. All our things we commit to you. All that is ours we submit to you. As the one from whom we got it originally. All that are our things we submit it back to you. As the one from whom we got it originally. Lord we say let your name alone be glorified. Lord we ask. Lord I ask for your children. I ask for your people. Everyone who is in Marie Clay. Lord, set them on solid ground. Amen. Lord, you said you will lift up the humble. He said that you said you will notice the lowly and you will lift them up. Lord, everyone who is lowly in heart. Lord, anyone who is still lowly, who is still in the miracle, Lord, lift them up. Amen. Set them on solid ground. Amen. Lord, lift them to the place where they can do more for you. Amen. Lift them to the place where they can serve you more. Amen. Lift them to the place where they can walk in your God-given dignity. Lord, lift your people up in the name of Jesus. Not unto us, O Lord, but unto you be all the glory. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.